0: Well, good morning, everyone. If you got your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Nehemiah chapter one. And uh, so, two weeks ago, we started a we started a, a series in Nehemiah, and uh, I started. I during that time, I had a timeline. I have a simpler timeline today, and I forgot my laser pointer, so I'm going to use this. Hope you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if you can see this, but uh, I just want to point out that here's Cyrus, Cyrus, and here's Darius. And last, and two weeks ago, there was a question about Darius. Who was Darius? Well, Darius kind of comes out of nowhere. He and, and six friends decide to dispose the king. And according to Darius, um, uh, what's his name, Cambyses, was the king. But he can be sent someone to go murder uh, Bardira by Barderia, who was his brother. Um, and the murderer murdered him, and then the murderer put his own brother in place of Darius. And uh, but his name was Guatma. Now Darius found out about this impostor and decided to kill him. And take the throne for himself. So that's the story according to Darius. How he came to the throne. <laughs> There's some concern about whether that actually is true. We're not sure. So anyways. Sirius is the one who who ordered the temple to be rebuilt. And then it gets stopped. And then Darius, Darius decides to get it going again. And the temple is rebuilt. And so then. Um, Ezra comes here but the but the book of Ezra starts with um, the temple began here with uh, with Zerubbabel 50,000 people go back to Jerusalem and then later on the book of Ezra picks up the story with Ezra 80 years later and it's after that and after Esther that we get to Nehemiah so that's uh, the timeline hope it's all straight now I was actually thinking about I, I said that uh, Bel- Darius was a uh, viceroy but it's actually Belshazzar who was the viceroy of uh, Nabalus, the king at that time so there's your history lesson hope it all made sense we're going to leave that behind and uh, get to the book of Nehemiah let's let's just start with prayer Father, we come before you today, and we just thank you for your grace in our lives. And we thank you for a man like Nehemiah and the the imposing man that he was and the way he shaped history and the way he was led by you and the way he was accountable to you and honoring of you. And so, Lord, today as we look at his prayer, Lord, we pray that uh, our lives would be challenged to be like him, to not just be a leader, but be a leader of prayer. And so, Father, we pray that you would open our minds. I pray that you would anoint me, that I might speak your word in power and in truth. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, many of you have probably heard of William Tyndale, a very passionate man who loved the Bible and wanted everybody to be able to read the Bible in their own vernacular. He was, he was convinced that we don't need priests in order to, to open up the Word of God to us, but that we should actually have the Bible ourselves. And so he was one of the first people to uh, espouse this, and it wasn't taken too kindly. In fact... Uh, his his def- the, the ones who were against him kept kept at it and at it and finally got him uh, got him uh, ordered to be executed. And so while he was being hung, as they were putting the noose around his neck so that he could be hung and then burned, that's what they did to uh, people that they didn't agree with back then. <laughs> Sorry for the graphicness. He exclaimed, the last thing he said was this, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And of course, he was referring to the fact that the King of England didn't believe that the average Christian should have a Bible. And he just, that was his last dying prayer. And you know what? It only took two years for God to answer that prayer of that dying man. It was a powerful prayer, just one sentence. And God answered that, and the, the course of history was changed because of that prayer. Uh, King, King Henry VIII ordered that a Bible of Miles Cloverdale was to be used in every parish in the land. In other words, they got rid of the, the Greek and their Latin and their uh, Hebrew Bibles, and they replaced them with the, basically the, one of the few existing English copies. And the Cloverdale Bible was largely based on Tyndale's work, actually. And then in 1539, Tyndale's own edition of of the Bible became the officially approved for printing. And uh, Tyndale's translation inspired great translations that followed, including the Great Bible, uh, the Geneva Geneva Bible, the Bishop's Bible, the Doure-Rheims Bible, and the authorized King James Version, of course. And actually, the King James Version owes more than 84% of the New Testament words to Tyndale and 75% of the Old Testament words used to Tyndale. So it's very fascinating the power that that prayer of a dying man, a man about to be executed, had. And you know what? Prayer is powerful. And God is the one who hears prayer. And I think when when someone's dying breath is a prayer, I think God takes note, right? I think the circumstances of our prayer, the fervency of our prayer, the attitude of our prayer has a lot to do with whether God responds to our prayer. If it's a flippant prayer said over a meal, you know, God bless his food, and you know, does God really answer that prayer? Apparently not if you guys food poisoning, but (laughs) I don't know. I don't know which prayers God answers, and I'm not going to judge what God does. That's up to him. But what I know is that when there's fervency, and the scriptures paint this very clearly, God does respond to the fervent prayers of his people. And so there's power in a single powerful prayer. And to our, today our passage is all about a prayer. It's a prayer of Nehemiah. Um, and it starts in the NIV with this word now, uh, or uh, then I said, if we get it up on the screen. Oh, there it is. Then I said, and so um, when I saw that word then, I thought to myself, oh, that's that, that means that it, it's, It's something that comes after. And so two weeks ago, I talked about the first step. And so I titled this morning's sermon, The Second Step. And so after you've fasted and wept and mourned and and sat down in shock and prayed, that's when you get to do all these other things. So, um, you know, it's very important to do um, all these steps, as it were. Next slide, please. Um, And then, this is what uh, Billy Sunday said. When may a revival be expected? When the wickedness of the wicked grieves and distresses the Christian. I believe that the first step is grief, sorrow. I know for me, um, you know, we've had the Holy Spirit encounter a few weeks ago. You know, for me, I encountered the Holy Spirit in the most powerful way I ever did, Not at the front of a church being prayed for by pastors, but when the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin and I wept over my sin. That's when the Holy Spirit came upon me in power, shocked me, didn't know what was going on. And I believe that the first step for any revival is going to be when we are really weeping over our own sin and the sins of our country. And so a heart for the things of God and the people of God, this is the first step, and you can't bypass it. Now, unfortunately, as I got studying the scriptures, I found out that my sermon title was bogus. I was a little shocked. Uh, This is the day of confessing, I guess, all my faults. But uh, as I looked into the Hebrew, I realized that the word then doesn't exist in the Hebrew. And in fact, the the word that's translated, I said, is in the um, imperfect tense, implying that it's a continuing action that hasn't been fulfilled yet. And so if you realize that that I said is right after... Well, let me just put it up on the screen. Uh, this is the way the, the New King James Version puts it. Uh, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said making it much more clear that this is part of what he was doing all along and continued to do, and it wasn't finished yet, and he was continually, continuously praying this prayer. Um, so uh, actually, my sermon title should have been called uh, Step One Expanded, or something like that. So anyways, uh, it is kind of the next step, but it, it's so weeping does seem to come first, and then the praying starts. And it continues on. My point is that Nehemiah prayed. And we're going to check out this awesome prayer as it's contained in the rest of chapter 1 in Nehemiah. And I'd like to point out that this kind of prayer is a prerequisite for becoming a man of influence or a woman of influence. Or to doing any great work, a prayer, a heartfelt prayer, is a prerequisite. The mark of a serious leader is to take it to the Lord in prayer. So let's get started. Um, first of all, uh, his prayer starts with the Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who keep him and keep his commands. So there's this honoring addressed. He addresses God in the most kind of austere way. I mean, he, look what it says. Uh, he had respect for the Lord. It says, Lord. When he says Lord, he's referring to someone who has authority over him. Now, he is quite aware of what lordship is like because he serves King Xerxes, Artaxerxes. And uh, when the king says jump, you jump, you know, (laughs) you do your work. Uh, There's no fooling around with these kings. They're, They're very fickle. And when you tick them off, that doesn't last very long. Because usually your head comes off or you go to prison or whatever. So you kind of walk around these kings with eggshells. And so when, when Nehemiah says Lord to God, I think he, maybe, I'm not sure that he has the same view of God. But he certainly knows what lordship and authority is like. And he's fine with that because of who God is. What does he say next? He's the God of heaven. He's not just any old God, but he's the God that rules the universe. And and thirdly he says, You're the great and awesome God. What a way to refer to God. Now I know that, that Jesus said that that we're to refer to God as our Father who art in heaven. And there's a familiarity there. There's a sense of, you know, like, hey Dad, how's it going? Uh, you know, I have a few prayer requests today, and it's, it feels very casual. And sometimes the fact that we, we refer to God as our Father, we can, it can diminish the reverence and awe that we ought to have for our Father. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be friendly with God I believe that Jesus died for our sins and therefore we have a a relationship with God that is very much like a father, very personal, very much like saying, Dad. But let's never forget the reverence and awe that is also due God. And maybe we ought to start our prayers sometimes with Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. I think it would be a great start for prayer, don't you think? I mean, it just shows respect. You know, um, Job had to be reminded of God because job went through a horrible ordeal, right his family destroyed all his belongings taken away, everything was destroyed in a single day just and then he, you know, and then he got sick and I mean everything was going bad you can 't think it 's impossible to have someone going through worse stuff than job went through right. Um, And so Job is complaining. He's saying, God, it's not fair. It's not fair. I've been righteous. I've been good. And all you've given me is calamity. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. And, uh, you know, this goes on for chapter after chapter after chapter. His friends kind of try to say, no, you know, you're saying the wrong thing there, Job. You know, you must have been wicked in some way. This wouldn't have happened to you if you weren't wicked. So, you know, stop saying you're righteous and you're okay and get on with the show. Confess your sins and let's say, and this goes on back and forth for a long time. but, But mostly Job is frustrated with God. Okay, how many of you have been frustrated with God? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, a few of you, exactly. I'm in the same boat. I get frustrated with God sometimes. And sometimes we need to be reminded that he's the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. And God showed up to Job. And he came in in a storm. And he says this, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? (laughs) I love that. You know, kind of put Job in his place right there, you know. Who is this? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? And then he talks about, you know, the sea and the clouds and the the morning and the evening and and the, the gates of death, the abode of light, the storehouses of snow, the lightning, the rain... I mean, it goes on for page after page after page. Right? Lions and ravens and all in the stork. and I'm talking about many pages here. And finally, you know, in chapter 40, uh, who will contend with the Almighty and correct Him? Let Him accuse God and answer Him. Who accuses God? Answer Him. And Job answered the Lord, uh, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I, will, I have no answer. Twice, but I, I will say no more. <laughs> Joe's freaking out, right? And then God, God just goes on for another couple of chapters. You know, it's just, can you figure out, you know, just talking about him over and more. And I, I don't know why I printed out all these pages, but I used a lot of paper, as you can see. God is just saying, I am God. And you need to respect me as God. And God never answers Job's question about whether he's righteous and why God brought all this calamity in his life. It doesn't give him the answer. He just said, stop questioning me. If you can answer all these questions I just gave you, then fine. But if you can't, stop it. (laughs) And Job ends up saying, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So anybody who wants these, they're right here. (laughs) Pages from Job. We need to honor and respect God. It is vital. And yes, we can be frustrated with God. And yes, God said that Job didn't sin at all. in all his frustration and all his, you know, ramblings about God God said he didn't sin so you know what I think God does want to hear our complaints and our concerns and our frustrations he says cast your cares upon me because I care for you Um, so it's fine to do all that but also recognize that God might just say at one point okay it's time for you to understand me who I am and that I don't answer to you sorry for that information but that's the way it is and we need to have respect so i think starting our prayers with respect and honoring god is a great way to start our prayers and also using what christ said father recognizing that he cares about us that it's it's a it's intimate relationship that we have with our heavenly father so both of those things are are vital And so the honoring address doesn't end just with those three things. But he also honors God by describing God's character. And uh, do we have the outline on the other screen? Is that possible? I don't know if it's possible. But anyways, he says, Who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. And so there's a sense that he's not only honoring God, but he's also honoring the character of God. That God is a God of love, and he loves those who keep his, keeps his commandment, that there's a relationship going on. See, Nehemiah wasn't devoid of this concept that there's a relationship, a love relationship, between God and his people. And he's kind of saying, I know who you are, God. You're great and awesome, God of heaven, you're Lord, you're also loving and kind and compassionate. And want to have a relationship with us. And so that's how he he addresses his prayers. And I think we need a little work on how we address our prayers. Don't you think? I think it's great to follow this example of both aspects of God being referred to. And then check out the fervency of Nehemiah's prayer. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. Is praying before you day and night for your your servants, the people of Israel. Notice the respect. I mean, there's a sense that uh, next slide that uh, he's he's saying it's your I, I want your ear, I'm, your eyes. I, it's this. My prayer is, you know, I'm your servant, and my prayer is about your servants. It's very much a God's focused, God's kingdom prayer it's not about oh uh, yeah you know i'm having a bad day with the king today he didn't like the wine i gave him it was frustrating you know it wasn't about him at all it was about god's city god's people and that's what his prayer was focused on it's basically focused on god's kingdom and so in the lord's prayer that our lord taught us to pray thy will be done thy kingdom come that's part of how we pray we don't pray primarily for ourselves we pray for God's kingdom. <clears throat> and so the next prayer, it's, it's interesting that um, he says that your servants is praying before you day and night. I find that fascinating. He's praying all the time. Now, th- this prayer of his is only six verses long. So I imagine he, he didn't just repeat that prayer over and over, day and night. I imagine he prayed many variants of this prayer. But I think he condensed basically what he was praying into these six verses that we have before us. And um, and so he didn't mind saying to God, you see how often I'm praying this. You hear how my heart is weeping. You hear how... Into... Can you say that honestly about your prayer? To God, hey God, you know how often I've been praying this. You see how often I'm on my knees here. You see how often, uh, you know, I've been weeping before you and crying day and night. God knows everything, right? So saying that to him means it's, it, it better be true, right? <laughs> Otherwise, uh, I don't know. And so then he says this last part. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the hear. Or this is actually the first part. But I think it's kind of interesting. He's, hey, God, pay attention to my prayer. <laughs> I love that. It's part of his prayer. God, can you just pay attention to me for just a second? I've got a few things I'd like to say. Uh, it's kind of cute. Anyways, so he, the address is honoring God. The fervency is intense. And then he goes into the third part. And that's he starts confessing his sin. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. He's not, he's not, I notice two things. He's confessing sins of people, of others. You know, it's legitimate to confess other people's sins, it's also legitimate to confess your own sins and to be included. And sometimes when I pray for Canada, I confess the sins of Canada because I'm part of Canada. I'm a Canadian. That makes me part of this whole group of people. And therefore, I can confess the sins of Canada. I can confess the, peop- the sins of the world, too, because I'm also a human being, part of the world, you know. And I can confess the sins of my family, the sins of my church. Any group that you're a part of, you can confess the sins of as part of that group especially if you're the leader of that group, which Nehemiah was not at this point. And he says, we have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. You know, we often, you know, when we pray to God, we're very apt to confess or be frustrated with all the frustrating things that other people do to us maybe we ought to start confessing the things that we are doing rather than our spouse or our boss or workmate or classmate or whatever, or teacher. Let's start with ourselves, and confession is vital. And then let's move on. Um, in verse 8, you start to see how scripturally based his prayer is. And uh, he's, he's just quoting scripture back to God. He's saying, God, you, you said this stuff. And so, you know, I'm kind of pretty confident that you're going to answer this prayer. Remember, he says, the instruction. He's telling God to remember something. It seems a little ironic, don't you think? You know, like, hey, God, remember? You know, like, of course he remembers. He remembers everything. But I think what he's, he's also reminding himself of God. And he's reminding that God said something in his word. And that makes it powerful. And that's a great base to base our prayers on. And there are lots of people who just take the scriptures and and read through the scriptural prayers and take the prayers and use them for themselves. Or they pray things that they know is God's will. Because the Bible says, whatsoever we ask according to his will, he hears us. And so when we pray according to God's will, and if it's in the Bible, it's God's will, it's a very powerful prayer. And it's a prayer that will be answered. Remember the instruction you gave to your servant Moses, saying, "If you are faithful, I will unfaithful. I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, and then even if you are exiled, people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen to put my name." So he's he's talking about two promises God's made. One promise: If you are wicked, I'm going to send you away. Well, that certainly happened, right? they're away in in Babylon and they were wicked and they were sent away. And then he reminds God of the second part though. But if we are faithful and we return to you, then even if you have flung us to the farthest reaches of the horizon, you will bring us back. And he's saying, you know, that's part of the promise that's, you know, kind of ongoing. You brought some of us back, but it's not completely fulfilled. And so, um, so he's, he's, this whole concept of remember, he's already quoted a verse that Daniel says first. He's already quoted, we've already read this. Uh, it was part of his ad- address to God. He said, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. That quote was from Daniel. And Daniel was referring way back to Leviticus and Deuteronomy chapter 30. Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 30. Both of those passages have these huge passages. They're very big passages about if you sin, you're going to get destroyed. If you obey God, you're going to be blessed. Over and over. It's just repeated over and over. Uh, We don't have time to go there. Um, And so both Daniel and Nehemiah are focusing on that, Lord? You said, and it's interesting. Both Daniel and Nehemiah pray a prayer of repentance. Daniel's prayer of repentance, I printed it out too. It's quite a bit longer than Nehemiah's. It's, it's. But Nehemiah takes words exactly from this prayer about God's faithfulness, and he takes words from this prayer about repentance. And so Nehemiah's been reading his Bible, and. Uh, it just happens that Daniel was written not that many years previously, and so it must have been popular manuscript amongst the exiles, and he reads it. So basing our prayers on Scripture makes them powerful. Here's a Scripture that a lot of people have been praying in our church. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and will heal their land. Why have they been praying that? Because Canada needs healing. And so they've been praying this and they've been asking God's people all across Canada to pray. It's one of the reasons why BHOP started was this focus on being a praying church and wanting God to heal the land of Canada. Now the thing is what happens when we pray scriptures, we're standing on promises of God that we know can't be broken. The scriptures are very clear. Promises of God cannot be broken. You know, someone who stood on the promises of God was, was Abraham. In fact, he's, he's called the father of faith because of the way he stood on the promises. I mean, look at what it says in Romans 5. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without wakening in his faith, he, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. God said, you're going to have a child, and then he just said, okay, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. For 40, 60 years, he kept saying that. A few times, he, I think he had some doubts. A few times he tried to work it out himself. And he even laughed a couple of times about it. And so did Sarah. But Really, he did have faith. And he did believe. But was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Wow. You know, when when God says something, we can believe it and we can trust that God will do it. And that's why praying the scriptures is so powerful. We can pick up the Bible and pray the prayers in absolute faith because we're standing on the promises of God. Now, the other thing as I mentioned earlier, Nehemiah's prayer was kingdom focused, and here in verse 10 it becomes really clear. They are your servants, your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. You know, have you ever prayed for someone and based it on the fact that God redeemed that person? Lord, bless so-and-so, because she is someone you bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Whoa. That's powerful. That takes it out of sort of, oh, they're a nice person. They're, you know, whatever. But no, there's a reason, God, that you want to bless this person. This person's your son, your daughter, and you redeemed them. You bought them. And so he's referring to to uh, the uh, the getting the people of Israel out of Egypt. He's referring to the ten plagues that hit Egypt that that freed the people of Israel. And that's what he says. That's when God redeemed His people, and He bought His people by paying the price of doing all these these uh, mighty Uh, signs and wonders the 10 plagues and and then uh, keeping them through the desert time feeding them manna and quail and all kinds of things in the desert god redeemed his people and he's saying these are your people this isn't a prayer about me this is your city etc so he's focused on kingdom and i believe that we need in our prayers we definitely need to focus on kingdom and then again number six is reverence Again, we mentioned this earlier, um, but give your servants, or I'm sorry, I already said that part. No, I didn't. Verse 11, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. So basically he's saying, I delight in giving you honor and glory. And you can tell by the beginning of his prayer, he revered God. And so reverence for God is vital in our prayer life. And finally, the very last part of the prayer. It's only 15 words long. I counted the whole prayer. The whole prayer is 212 words. 15, that's 7% of the prayer is what? A request. (laughs) I know my prayer this morning earlier was 93% request and 7% praise. But Nehemiah turns it around and says, no, I got... 93% praising God, reminding God of his promises, 7% request. And what's his request? Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. What's he talking about here? Next slide. Uh your servant success who's that? who that's that's himself he's referring to himself as god's servant and he's saying could you give me success today how many of you like to pray that prayer at your work right yeah we'd love to i'd like to have success i'd like to be successful in what i do i i mean that's human nature i think we want to be a success but notice that he's asking him to be help him grant favor from his boss that's what he defines as successful that his boss would grant him favor he's referring to the king of course the next line is I was cupbearer to the king and so he's referring to the king that he wants to have favor in the eyes of the king and God grant him success notice also um, uh, nope not not yet (laughs) uh Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. You notice that that Nehemiah is saying, he, he doesn't actually say it, but he's kind of offering him his own services to God. He's saying, you know, I, I'm going to go talk to the king. Uh, can you just tell me along here? So he's, he's not just saying, Lord, you, you do the work and, uh, you know, I'll just stay here on my knees and pray. But he's saying, Lord, grant me success In what I'm about to do. He's got a plan. He's got, he's got something. He's, he's like, I, I wanna, I wanna get involved here. I don't wanna just weep and pray all the time. I wanna actually do something about it. So there's this combination going on. He didn't just right away say, Oh, the walls in Jerusalem are broken down. I'm gonna go see what I can do about that. Maybe I'll talk to the king and maybe we can get something done. No. First, he weeps, he prays, he fasts. Then he says, okay, Lord, can you, can you give me success in what I'm about to do? And he asked for help. You know, one of the people who was very practical-minded was uh, Mother Teresa, and this is what she wrote. People are often unreasonable, ir- irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyways. <laughs> That's something that we do. Uh, if you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyways, okay? If you're successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyways. If you're honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyways. What What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyways. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyways, Next slide. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyways. Give the best you have, and give it, and it will never be enough. Give your best anyways. And the final analysis is between you and God, and it's never between in you and them anyways. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And so, it's involvement. We do have something to play. We do have something to do. But it's about you and God. And it's not just about you, and it's not just about God. It's about you and God working together, right? Uh, you know, Helen Keller, the, the woman who is blind and deaf, um, graduated from... And, and uh, she said this, I am only one, but I am still one. I cannot do everything... But I can do something, and because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. God calls us to be active, not just prayer prayer warriors. He calls us to be prayer warriors, but active as well. Um, so Nehemiah basically is saying, "Here I am, Lord. Send me." At the end of his his speech, he had a blend of prayer. Into action. It reminds me of uh Corrie Ten Boone. Cory Ten Boone, I didn't know this till yet, yesterday, but Cory Ten Boone, the, the, her great-grandfather in 1844 was at a prayer meeting and he heard someone talking about how the responsibility to pray for Jewish people. And he started a prayer meeting that that week. And asked some of his friends and neighbors to join him. And they prayed for the Jewish people who lived in Germany and and all over the world. And started praying for the peace of Jerusalem. They prayed every week for a hundred years. A hundred years they prayed this prayer for for the Jews and for the peace of Jerusalem. And do you know that prayer meeting ended in 1944? when Cory Timboon and her family were taken away to the prison camp. That was the end of that prayer meeting praying for the Jews. Isn't that significant? God used a horrid event called the Second World War to push the Jews back into Israel and to start over again. And so Cory Tamboon could not help but pray for the Jewish people. She could not help, but help the Jewish people when they came knocking on her door. Her family had been praying for them for a 100 years. It's like, okay, I guess I better help them. There's no question. Like, this is part of who she, she was and what she did. Prayer makes us wait. Prayer clears our vision. So we can see better. You know, I used to live in Vancouver. Vancouver, you know, it gets kind of foggy sometimes and drizzly rain. And I remember the first month we lived in Vancouver, and I said to Jennifer, you know, there's a mountain over there. I'm pretty sure it's golden Ears, and it's right there outside our front window. And after a month, she said, so there's a mountain out there, is there? <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. (laughs) I've not seen any mountain. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure it's there. And she says, I think, do people commit suicide a lot here? (laughs) Because it's really dark and dismal. When we go to prayer, we can go that way, feeling like, ah, I can't see anything beautiful, nothing. It's just dark, dismal, nasty. And when we go to prayer, God burns off the clouds. And brings in the sun, and we can see beautifully. And we you know, in December, it finally got clear, and we were able to see beautiful golden ears mountain with this fresh snow on it. It looked absolutely gorgeous. And it was there all along, but we couldn't see it. Why? Because we were crowded out. And you know what? Prayer opens the eyes of our hearts so we can see clearly what's going on. Prayer also quiets our heart. It says, "You know what? God is in control." And he's not going to let this ball drop. And so I've given it over to him and I'm fine with him doing whatever he's doing in my life. And so we yield control and we're comfortable with him. And finally, prayer activates faith, right? When you start praying the scriptures, suddenly you start believing them more and believing that God will actually change things. So I want to close with this story. It's a story... It's, a, it's really about a prayer of Isabella Bomfrey, AKA Sojourner, a.k.a. Sojourner Truth. She was born into slavery in Usler County, New York, and with the help of friends, Isabella was able to win her freedom a year before emancipation. But her son Isaac had been sold across state lines, which was illegal at the time, and she decided to go to court to get him back. No one thought she'd ever be able to win. But Isabella believed God was on her side. And every night she prayed this prayer. Oh God, you know how much I am distressed. For I've told you again and again. Now God, help me get my son. If you were in trouble as I am, and I could help you as you can me, think I wouldn't do it? Yes, God, you know I would do it. Well, that's a bold prayer, you know? God, if you were in trouble, I'd help you out. <laughs> I love that. Oh, God, you know I have no money, but you can make people do for me, and you can make people do. You can make the people do for me. Oh, that doesn't make sense. I don't know what. It must be repeated. I will never give you peace until you do, God. <laughs> I love this. This is a this is a persistent prayer. I mean, God, I'm not going to let. You. I'm not going to give you peace. I'm just going to be that persistent widow who kept asking, kept asking, kept asking. And so I, I believe we need to have bold prayers and just ask God. And I love this woman's prayer. So let's pray. Lord, infiltrate our prayer life. Lord, I confess that I do not pray as I ought to pray. Lord, I confess that my life is not as it ought to be. And Lord, I pray that you would cleanse me of my sin and wash me and make me whole again. I pray, Lord, that my prayer life would be powerful, Lord, scripturally based, fervent, honoring to you, respecting you. Lord, I pray that it would be um, full of faith because it's based on the things of God. And then it's focused on your kingdom. Lord, renew my prayer life. May it be a powerful prayer life. I offer my time and myself to you, Lord, to do your will in this regard. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.